Welcome back to part two of our episode with pediatric acupuncturist Robin Ray Green, author of Heal Your Child from the Inside Out. Last week, we talked about non-needle techniques you can use to help heal your children from a wide variety of health issues, including digestive disorders and food intolerances. This week, we look at an expanded definition of the five-element theory and how it can be applied to home and work life. Plus, we'll answer questions from our audience coming up next on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. Meet Gina. Gina wanted to lose weight, so she spent two years fasting, detoxing, and dabbling with vegan diets while practicing a shit ton of yoga to lose 25 pounds. But it took so long that nobody noticed. Then, Gina started Frenching her food by eating fatty cheeses, butter, sausages, and red meat, and lost 15 more pounds in only two months. Everybody noticed this time. Frenching your food unlocks the riddle of weight loss that skinny French chicks use to slim down, look young, and live longer despite doing everything wrong. Be like Gina. Start Frenching your food today by visiting nutritionheretic.com forward slash Frenching. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. (laughs) It's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. So uh, back to my question about the, you know, the localized eczema, let's say, would mm-hmm. you say that, you know, like if it is telling us as an, as an adult, let's say it's telling us to rub that spot, you know, scratch over here, because that's going to correspond to, you know, your triple warmer or whatever. I guess where I'm going with this is that our, our instinct, again, believing that the body's stupid and it's trying to kill you, um, is let's stop the itching. Right. Right. You know, what's the, I mean, and I know that, you know, this is what, (laughs) this is what you do for a livelihood, but you know, what, what can people, I guess, glean from that as far as like maybe paying attention? Um, Like, oh, okay. I got this, you know, this weird rash that's just on my temples. Maybe I should rub it. Maybe I shouldn't rub it. You know, is there anything that they should uh, consider? Well, I think that, you know, because we have 12 meridians and 12, you know, 24 different organ systems, it'd be a little too much to go into in, right. in the podcast here as far as like location and whatnot. But I would say, you know, if, if things, if you are having eczema, you know, it's really important to look at what, what's going on in your life and your diet right now. Are you, are you getting enough um, nutrients from your diet? Are you getting enough oils? You know, could be, um, you know, you need fish oil or, uh, borage oil or, you know, things to nurture and nourish the skin. 
Um, are you hydrated enough? Are you detoxifying properly? So I think those are sort of the more the things that I start to ask myself mm -hmm. as I'm working with a client is like, where, where, what, what's too much? Like, is there too much of something in mm -hmm. the diet or in the lifestyle? Too much work, too much um, stress, too much, you know, processed food. Is there something that's not enough, not enough rest, not enough, you know, time to nurture yourself and, and, you know, come back into balance, not enough, um, you know, oils and good healthy fats in the diet. So that's usually where I'll go is what is too much and what is not enough. And mm -hmm. then how can we balance that out? And a lot of times that will go away. And then, you know, it's good just to, to let it be when we suppress the symptoms, when we put on cortisone cream and right. things, we're just driving it deeper in the body. Exactly. And we don't want to do that. So it's really important to, you know, we want to manage symptoms that that's something if it's really bothering you where you scratch it at night and you're bleeding, we don't want it to get to the point where it's like infected or, right. you know, anything like that. So sometimes we do have to manage the symptoms a little bit while we're working on some of this deeper level stuff. But we do want to like, let it be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe do something topically, naturally to try and help it out if we can. And then, you know, if, if you really need to go to the steroids, we can do that. But um, I find that if we let it be, it'll it'll tell us if what we're doing is working or not. Right. Okay, great. Um, on your page, you talk about uh, the five element theory and using that not only for the digestive troubles, but um, also creating harmonious lifestyle, home, work environment, etc. Yes. How, you know, with the, you talked about the elements, the, the earth, water, wind, fire, etc. How, how does that apply outside of, let's say, the corresponding organs to those elements? Right. In other words, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, I know exactly what you're saying. So I talk about it, I call it the five element way. And really what that means to me is that the five elements are this system of correspondences, and we can use it to help us understand our health and any imbalances that we've got going on. We can use it to understand, you know, our emotional and spiritual health as well, because each element, when each element balances one another and nourishes one another, and each element also provides counterbalance. So, for instance, you know, the fire element is all about fun and spontaneity and creativity and play and love and all of that. But if we spent all of our time in the fire element, you know, partying and having fun and going to the beach, then our other elements would not be nourished. And we, you know, we wouldn't take time to, you know, actually have a plan and meet our goals or, mm. you know, be organized or have quiet time and have time for mindfulness and rest and just doing nothing and, and so on. And so if, if we, if we just focus on one element, we, we can become out of balance. And to give you an example, in the process of writing my book, I was working in my clinic full time and mm. teaching and, you know, going through all of that. And I got into what I call wood mode, which is wood is all about drive and action and mm. taking, you know, all of that. And I just got so and this is very common, especially where I live in Silicon Valley, where people are just in wood mode. It's like, we got to do stuff, we got to get, you know, get it done, check it off the list. And we're always busy, busy, busy. And when you when you get into that mode, you you neglect your other elements, you stop taking time for quiet for do for just lazy days and doing nothing. And, you know, mindfulness and being present in the moment. And, there was no time for fun. I was so busy working right. all the time. There's no time for fun and play or I was having some, but just not enough, you know, not enough fun in my life. 
And then, you know, I was still doing pretty good with my earth and, you know, eating well and being organized and all of that. But eventually it reached a point last year where I just was like, that's it. I'm done. I can't do anymore. I just Mm -hmm. can't, you know, and I took a six week pause from, you know, I still had my clinic um, schedule, but I took a six week pause from everything. I call it my sacred pause Mm -hmm. where I just had to stop. I had to say no. I had to, you know, just not do anything. And that six weeks was so essential for me to come back to myself and to find the joy in my work again and look forward to all of the things that I had going on. Because, you know, when we when we get out of balance, you know, we it's, it, it's really easy just to get stuck there and just to, you know, not be able to know, you know, kind of know what we need to do, but maybe feel guilty about it. And, you know, I was able to, to really nurture my water element, which was quiet and solitude and rest and, you know, lying flat in those lazy days. Like I so needed that to repair and come back into balance and, and giving yourself that space without feeling guilty about it, because we know that that's what we need. And then all the elements just like really started to come back into balance. I could plan a day I could, you know, I was having fun and doing fun things and enjoying eating and connecting with my family at dinner time and, you know, staying on track with my what I feel like is my life's work and life's calling. Mm. And so I love to bring that out to people and out to my patients, because I feel like every our lives are going to always have something go on, you know, you have some left turn, you had no idea that this was going to happen or somebody, you know, would lose their job or die or, you know, the kids grow off to college or whatever it might be. And we have to continually reassess, like, where are my elements at? Because when they're all in balance, we feel happy and healthy and things are easeful and it just flows. And and I, I don't know anybody that doesn't want more of that in their life. Right. So then, sorry, can you run down then for me what those five elements in our life are? So you said wood was your drive. Yes. Earth is your stomach. Right. So wood element gives us our drive. It helps us create step-by-step plans and take inspired action toward our goals. And then we have the fire element, which is really all about epic self-care and self-love. And it inspires fun and play and creativity and spontaneity. Mm -hmm. And then the earth element teaches us to connect with nature and our friends and family and food. It's all about keeping the peace and keeping ourselves Mm. balanced. And then the metal element teaches us to set healthy boundaries, to find our life's purpose and to live authentically. Mm. And then, isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And then the water. So that's the one that says no. (laughs) The The liver says no. Okay. The water element helps us be mindful and present in the moment and helps us connect with our inner wisdom and tune into divine guidance. So it's, it's all like, we need all of those things to be healthy and happy. And when one of them goes out of whack, whether, you know, we're just disorganized and just can't keep our schedule straight, or, you know, we're just not um, having enough fun and play in our lives you know, we'll, we'll begin to just be unhappy, even if we have everything we think we want. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I make, I, I don't know where this fits in exactly, but I, I like to take a nap. <laughs> I take yeah. one, I take one a couple of times a, a week, you know, like just whatever time, you know, if I wake up and I just feel like I woke up in the wrong p- part of the day, I'll close my eyes for 10, 20 minutes and I'll be great for the rest of the day. Because I lived a lot in Europe, I I do believe that there is a a tremendous value to that siesta kind of mentality. 
Um, you know, it's something that we really have ignored in this country. Uh, but all, you know, in, in Europe, it's quite interesting. I read a book in praise of slowness and, uh, it was, and one of the things they were talking about was in Spain, you know, they're used to taking their siesta. Well, now they, when I lived there, uh, people would work from, you know, nine o'clock in the morning until, they stopped for lunch, which was, you know, really their dinner. It was their big, their biggest meal of the day, uh, usually around one o'clock. And then they would stay home and sleep for a few hours and go back to work from like five to eight, which, mm. you know, none of the rest of the world does. So then, you know, over time, they've been trying to conform to this more eight hour workday that's more uh, truncated. Uh, but what they ended up doing is opening a bunch of sleep centers around town so people could just take a nap after work. <laughs> I mean, after after lunch, you know, they would have lunch, you know, at a restaurant or something and then just go to like a little cubicle somewhere and sleep for an hour and then go back to work or half an hour, whatever they, they could muster up. Oh, my goodness. I know. And that exactly what you're talking about is nurturing our water element, which needs quiet. It needs naps. It needs rest. It needs you know, just doing nothing because we're actually not doing nothing when we're doing nothing. Yes. When we're when we're doing nothing, all our subconscious is working, we're solving problems, we're, you know, nurturing our body so we can stay balanced and have energy and not go into adrenal fatigue. And it's so important because like our American culture is so wood. It's all action and doing and eight hours and I recently read an article about a company where they they created a five hour workday. Yeah, <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> I know, right? And they the the these uh, employees were allowed to leave around like four thirty or so, four four thirty to um, go be you know do the family stuff, to pick their kids up and go to the soccer games and do whatever. And they found that productivity actually increased. Yeah, and the company's profits increased. There you go. And, you know, it's that law of diminishing returns, like when we honor those rhythms and cycles in our bodies on a day to day basis, and we take the nap when we need it. And we, you know, maybe work later that night, because we're feeling it at five o'clock or eight o'clock or whatever. Yeah. But when we when we sort of honor those natural rhythms, boy, it's amazing what we can accomplish in flow, where yeah. it just flows. Right, right. Wow, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it totally makes sense. And, uh, one of the things I lived, well, I worked for a French company that I, you know, lived in France for a while and I even watch my French friends now. And when they work, they work, you know, like here, I think we end up kind of, cause we're in a bit of a stupor much of the time, <laughs> right? You no, know, seriously, like we're, we're, we're kind of just going through the motions and nobody wants to be there. And you're, you know, distracted because your mom called and she needs you. And, and, you know, you're, you got to pick up your kid. Like I was supposed to have somebody come and, and install my dishwasher today. The poor guy's kid got sick. So he had to stay home. And I'm like, don't worry about it. I get it. You know, yeah. um, take care of your family. But people are, 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 you know, they're at work and they're just distracted by everything. That's like, there's, so yeah, they're just spending so much time there that they can't really focus down for more than maybe ten to twenty minutes at a time. <laughs> they're trying to they're trying to you know cram in all this extra work. Uh, but yeah, the, I think I think there's a lot of value to that and having an alert worker. That and, and we need to move more. You know, that's mm. part of it too. Is like you know if you have a desk job where you're sitting down, we need to create a culture that that is like 
after after 90 by the 90 minute mark you need to get up and move you need right. to you know when you exercise or just get your heart going go play ping pong go walk around the complex do you know you get all this blood flow to your brain and when you have all that blood flow to your brain you're going to think more clearly you're going to you know be more efficient in the mm-hmm. work that you're doing and uh it would be so it's a fantastic to really encourage that and where i live is um in Morgan Hill, we have specialized bicycles. Mm. And at noon, around noon every day, you see this giant, you know, group of cyclists, and they they encourage their employees to get out and cycle at lunchtime. And, you know, it's like, I just love that, that culture, that idea of like, you're expected to get out and move and exercise, because that's part of what makes you productive and energized and like excited about your work. And and I think also during, during that downtime, you have those epiphanies, you know, you have that creative flow that wouldn't happen if you were just sitting there, you know, even though the the intent is to focus on the work, your mind starts wandering because, you know, we've got the monkey mind, right? (laughs) Just kind of jumping around. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So when you're not supposed to be there, that's when all your your little aha moments come up. And it's like, oh, I could do that so much faster this way. Right. Yes. Right. Right. So, um, you know, we actually have if you have time, we have some uh, questions from our audience. It seems like our audience is from Australia because I'm going to have to translate all of this into American. Uh, <laughs> 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 There's, a, there's just a few, you know, a Wilst and a celiac with an O in it. <laughs> so, okay. so um, the first question is, how would you recommend as a parent we help our children to um, to be open to trying acupuncture? Yes. Well, I think um, one of the things that I do is I um, tell people that, you know, an acupuncturist is like a detective and they're going to talk to you and they're going to ask you a bunch of questions And we're going to try different things to figure out what's causing the health problem that you're having. And then, you know, the actual, you know, acupuncture part of it, you know, we have all these special spots on our body that help our body heal itself. And the acupuncturist is going to tap into that with her special tools, his or her special tools. And it's something that they'll do in conjunction with you. You guys are going to be partner and you're going to be a team and they're, they're going to help you and you're going to work together. So there's nothing to be afraid of or nothing to worry about. Right, right. Okay, great. Um, let's see. The question two, I think we actually covered this to some extent, but uh, you talk about how you came into your field through the need to help your son with his eczema. What other significant health changes have you experienced through the journey that have had a great impact on children. Mm. You know, for me, it, I, I think we touched upon this with with really helping kids in their immune systems and mm. their, you know, overcoming, you know, understanding and then overcoming issues with food and food triggers that are causing underlying cause of the problem. So, what I, I what I see most often is this shift from unwellness and just lack of vitality and tiredness to a shift towards optimal health and vitality just through changes to diet and stimulating the body to heal itself with the acupuncture points. Mm. So that's been most impressive for me. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, I'm just, I'm just kind of running through these uh, quickly. And like mm-hmm. I said, I'm translating from the Australian. <laughs> we, we say things just a little bit differently. <laughs> so, what guides uh, do you give to parents unsure, uh, who are unsure, especially when facing modern medicine being too quick to give out drugs and creams rather than trying natural medicines? How do you recommend parents handle or determine what is the best method and treatment for their child? That's an excellent question. And I think, first of all, we have to decide what, you know, if it's an emergency, you know, if we're in an emergency situation, you know, we really have to look at what is the best thing in that situation, which Mm -hmm. is entirely different than the way we would approach it if it was, say, a chronic condition. So if it's a a chronic condition, you know, um, I always say, you know, I, I believe in Western and Eastern medicine. It's just trying to figure out which one is the right one for the job. Right. So we go to the doctor, we get the blood work, we, you know, go and look at everything. And if at the end of all that, there's still not a solution, you know, simultaneously, we can look at things from the Eastern perspective and try and figure out what's the underlying root cause and what, what factors in diet and lifestyle and environment are, you know, creating or, or, you know, um, are not helping the situation. And, and that way we don't really, it's not an either or situation. It's more like, and, you know, we can do Eastern and Western at the same time. And, you know, sometimes it's about trying things out, you know, um, with my son, we try, I went through a period where I was like, all right, I'm just going to try the Western medicine and see what happens. Right. And I tried the creams and I tried the basil chlorine and I, he got a little better. And then one day it just, it just blew up and his eczema got really bad for no, you know, we don't know what it was that, that triggered it, maybe an exposure to an allergen or something that he hadn't had before, during the time. And I was like, you know, this is just covering the symptoms. And then after that, I just chose not to do it because it wasn't really helping. And so we just have to look at what is helping and what what might possibly do more harm in the long run. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I I love the fact that you say that you honor both East and Western medicine, which is uh, the same thing that I, I heard from Ken Moorhead. Um, and it was <laughs> to paraphrase what, what the way I'm going to re- recall what he said is that uh, Western medicine often doesn't want to entertain alternatives. Uh, because, you know, we, not so even so much Western medicine as much as the United States, <laughs> we don't want to entertain that Eastern medicine or, you know, homeopathy, anything that hasn't been discovered here can help. Whereas the other modalities are very inclusive and in saying, oh, this is another place where we can go. Right, with it. right. And um, I actually saw over the weekend, I watched a documentary on, uh, the Reformation. And it was really interesting because when they, and you'll understand in a moment why this applies, but uh, be, because what they were saying was, I think, s- described so much the mentality that essentially founded this country uh, and, and like why it exists. And when they, you know, they talked about Martin Luther posting the 95 theses on the, on the, the church door uh, and how you know it became the, the the Roman Catholic Church was just like well you know what what do you want to do you want to break off you know like the, <laughs> it was just it was it was this very pivotal moment where it was like you know you you're either with us or against us essentially mm-hmm. and 
one of the these scholars said that he had a, a rabbi come and said, you know, talking to the congregation, say, how come you guys can't just agree with each other? How come, like, every time you have a disagreement, you have to come up with a new religion? She's like, we're, <laughs> you know, we Jews argue way more than you guys do, but we can all sit down and have a meal together and still be Jews. <laughs> like, oh, I, and so where I'm going with this is that, um, you know, the mentality, you know, why is our mentality not both and instead yeah. of either or? Ooh, that that sounds like a topic for an entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know, but you really yeah. think about it everywhere in in um in our country, we take this stance, you know, you're you're yeah. you know, you're well, against this thing, so it's got to be something else. We can't find middle ground. And to and to take this even further, one of the things that they discussed was um Queen Elizabeth the 1st. Because, you know, her dad was Henry VIII, who mm-hmm. converted to this, you know, head of church, Church of England, uh, to get away from, to basically get away from his wife. He wanted to divorce her, <laughs> had no, had no out other than to become a Protestant. And, um, but her sister, who was the, the daughter of the Catholic queen, she murdered every Protestant she could get her hands on. So pretty much, <laughs> you know, she's not called Bloody Mary for nothing. So, uh, so yeah. So when Elizabeth takes over, she has this inclusive idea where she's like, well, we're going to take this good stuff from Catholicism and we're going to take this good stuff from the Protestant Reformation and we're going to put it together and I'm not going to kill you because you're a Catholic and I'm not going to kill you because you're a Protestant. <laughs> and, and, and it created one of the most successful reigns <laughs> in, in British history. Um, and it was this idea of inclusiveness. So I guess, you know, like I'm just adding my little two cents here. I think there is, you know, to, to underscore what you're saying, uh, I think we can learn a lot from all methods. And, you know, just because we choose one doesn't mean that we need to completely discount the other. You know, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of many aspects of, of, uh, Western modern medicine. However, my leg gets cut off. I might want, you know, Western doctor to reattach it. You know, <laughs> if something serious happens, I might need to take an antibiotic and that's okay. I just have to make sure I work, I'm going with my eyes open and work on it on the back end. So, you know, um, yeah. we don't necessarily I mean, have to just be, you know, jump into one basket and stay there. We can still honor the validity of the other side. Well, yeah. And I think one of the misconceptions about Western medicine is that it's very scientific and very, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence behind it. And there are some parts of Western medicine that are like that, where there's a lot of um, science and, and so forth. But there's still a lot of things in Western medicine that are done. There are a lot of medical reversals where we thought it was this way and whoops, it's not at all. It's, it's the opposite or it's something different than we thought. Um, so it, you know, doctors are the same as all practitioners. We're just, we have a certain body of knowledge and we're just trying to do our best to figure things out and we don't always have it right. Um, right. Western medicine doesn't always have it right. right. And so a lot of the whole entire interaction that we have, what they call a patient encounter, mm-hmm. um, which is often attributed to the placebo effect, there's healing in it. And that's what I think holistic practitioners are working with patients. I think there's more consideration for 
the entire healing, the container for healing that we create when we're working with somebody. You know, a lot of people, when they come in my office, they always say, oh, I already feel better. I'm just, I, I have arrived and I feel better already. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole idea of like, you feel taken care of, you feel heard, you feel like your story has mm. been fully listened to. And I feel like, you know, with when you go, oftentimes when you go to a conventional physician, whether it's their choice or not, due to the demands on them, they don't have time to create that container for healing. They just need to make a diagnosis and get you what you need, your pill, your prescription or whatnot. And for many of doctors, that's not satisfying for them either. Right. You know, and and so it becomes a part of a belief system either, you know, and, and I, and unfortunately, I think there are people that believe don't believe in Western medicine, which right. they're going to be missing out on the the many things that it can do to save your life. Mm-hmm. And equally, people don't believe in Eastern medicine or nutrition or holistic medicine or whatever it might be. And they're going to miss out when they have some kind of functional illness and there's no pill that can cure them. Right. And so we really need to come back to that. Like, I, I love that all inclusive. It's like it's when we can look at, you know, both medicines have their place. Both medicines have something of value to offer a person. And we, when we pick the right one, when we combine it in the right way, then we can achieve true, deeper healing. Even if we can't be cured, we can be healed to a point that we can go about and live our lives and be happy and participate and be there for our families and our grandchildren and all of that. So I, I really would hope we could create a belief system around medicine in this country that's more inclusive. Right. Yeah. And you know, the the one thing that I will say, and I don't know if you see the same thing, uh, because you mentioned science in Western medicine. And to me, I think where, for me, it can fall short, it doesn't always, but it can fall short, uh, as far as Western medicine goes, is that we're, we've gotten to a point in more recent years where many of the like you talked about the things that, you know, we had to reverse. Um, they're relying so heavily on studies rather than experience. So when the doctors experience trialing the results of a study, the way it was reported at least, or, you know, um, doesn't happen, they blame the patient. Right. <laughs> Have you seen this too? I mean, like, I, I think this is, this is something that, that, that bears, uh, acknowledging uh that and, and for me like i want to know like i want to know the epidemiological i want to see the shit on the ground you know <laughs> this happened yeah. um you know not these kind of sterile you know reportings of like we tried you know we made these five changes and this is the result so only this is the one change that that you need to make to make that happen. It's like, wait, but you try, you changed five things. How do we know which of the five it was? You just chose one of the, you know, like the, they do this a lot with, um, again, you know, denigrating different foods. You know, they'll say like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, red meat causes, causes all of these health problems. And, uh, but then, you know, when you look at the study, you're like, well, it wasn't just red meat in that group. It was, it was actually the anything goes group or it was (laughs) red meat and, and deli meat, you know, or (laughs) red meat, deli meat and fake meat or some, you know, some permutation of that. And it's like, well, how'd you decide that red meat was the bad thing here? Because you did, you put all this other stuff in there. Yes. Well, and that, that really goes, I think, to the media and the way that they um, will report studies you know, kind of making sweeping conclusions in a headline, 
that can mislead somebody or not be, you know, a factual or, you know, there wasn't a two, there was, there wasn't a control group in the study. There were two cohorts or right. you know, there's all kinds of ways we can finagle science. And I say that with air quotes yeah. <laughs> um, to, to make it be what we want it to be, you know, and unfortunately, it, it can sci- science can can create more havoc, create more problems when it's when it's really not properly um, administered. And un- unfortunately, in certain areas, I think in particular with vaccines, there's a lot of skewing of data mm-hmm. and information. And, you know, it just becomes so muddy. The waters become so muddied. It's not clear to anybody what the truth really is. Right, right. But, you know, I got to say that, I mean, I do agree that the media plays a, a huge role in this because they're they're no longer objective about their reporting. Um, but the other thing is I've actually seen the summary, you know, cause a lot of times people just take the summary and that's what they go with. Right. You yes. know, and the summary does not necessarily reflect what's in that actual study. Like I've seen many studies where I look at the summary and I'm like, okay, let me read the study. And I read the study. I'm like, there's nothing that points <laughs> to this conclusion. Right. You know, there right. is nothing that points to the conclusion that they're drawing. But m- most people either don't have access because, you know, when you go on WebMD or wh- wherever they post these darn things, um, you know, they, they only show you the abstract and the summary. They don't show you the actual study. But if you have access to it and you read it and you understand it, you're going, hmm, not necessarily the conclusion that, you know, and then if you know, you could take that further. If you know about statistics, how to determine, you know, what's just statistically significant and so on, you're like, that's like negligible if that, you know, (laughs) and you screwed it up by, you know, adding all these other factors in there and, you know, people living in different climates and all these other things that, that can skew that data. Right. Right. And ultimately what we want is to, you know, create, a unique plan for the people that we're working with. You know, right. we, everybody needs unique. What you know worked in that study isn't always going to work for everyone. Right, that's an so, excellent point. You know, excellent. And and I and th- that's where the one size fits all approach just really falls short for so many people because you're not a statistic. Right, right. And and you know, it's kind of funny. It's like everybody's willing to say that until it comes down to the point where they're like, I just want my pain medication. Just give it to me. I don't <laughs> <Okay>. care. <laughs> so. Okay, I have um, another question, which is my son was recently diagnosed as having celiac disease gene, the celiac disease gene, uh, while he doesn't have the disease. I've been advised that should signs appear then to get him rechecked. I find this very reactive and not proactive. What would you recommend I do? Mm. My experience with gluten and it being such a difficult protein to digest and such an issue for so many kids you know, if you, if you had the genes, I would just take it out of the diet. Mm -hmm. I would really just avoid it in general rather than wait for symptoms, wait for damage to happen. Because by the time a person becomes symptomatic, they're already doing damage to the small intestine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully that it would repair, but maybe not. So I think it would be so much better to just avoid it. And, and there's so many great alternatives out there today in place of gluten that I think it could, it's, it's fairly easy to do these days. Yeah. I think, I think where it becomes the problem is in social circles. Yeah. You know, when you want to, you know, your kid wants to go to a birthday party or you're at a family event or, you know, and then unfortunately there's so many kind of 
gluten imposters, you know, people, gluten intolerant right. imposters, I should say, uh, you know, people who kind of want to be part of that club, but as soon as you turn your back, they're sucking down a bowl of pasta <laughs> and you're like, wait, you just told me, you just made me rearrange my entire Thanksgiving dinner and you're eating pasta, you know, <laughs> like regular old wheat pasta. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm wondering is why she would have had him tested for the gene without any symptoms already. You know, what was the, what was the impetus behind that? So I'm thinking there's something already going on. Yeah. Why he and, was and checked in the first place. No. Even if siblings have had something going on, I think it's True. best to just avoid, avoid gluten because, you know, you might be fine for a while, but if the perfect storm happens, you know, you get really sick, a big, you know, fever, toxic exposure, stress, you know, loss, whatever it might be, that perfect storm can sometimes trigger the symptoms mm. to start. And then if you're already eating that food, it can just escalate quite quickly. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. So sorry to sound reactive rather than proactive, but I think that is a proactive approach actually to, um, to address it now rather than waiting for disease. Nobody wants disease. Right. Right. And you know, the, the birthday parties and the family dinners and the, eventually, you know, what I recommend to the, the parents that I work with is you just need to really look at your calendar, look at what's happening at school, look at what birthday parties. And, you know, I, I used to, when my kids were off of gluten and dairy, I would make cupcakes up in advance and yeah. then I would defrost them. I would take them with me. I would take my own little pizzas that I would make with, you know, the stuff that they could have. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just created it as normal as I could for my kids. Um, and, and eventually we didn't have to do it anymore. Right. And especially yeah. when they're little, you know, if you, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of distracting kids. So, um, you know, not, and not making them feel like, oh, you're, you feeling left out because they're all right. eating cake and you're not, no, just go, oh, let's play pin. They're doing something over there. Let's go play pin the tail on the donkey. Yes, <laughs> you know? exactly. Do something fun. Like, you know, exactly. I love that distraction is wonderful. And we don't want to, I mean, if we walk around as adults and like, oh, you poor thing, you didn't have your pizza and ice cream and cake. Oh, you must feel so bad. Of course, they're going to. But right. if we can empower them. And I've worked with kids. I have one little five-year-old boy that um, he is like, I can't, I don't eat that because that makes my eczema bad. So he just doesn't eat it. He has like this amazing willpower and he doesn't care because he right. doesn't want to itch and feel bad. So, right. you know. We can take a page out of his book and just be really, you know, he like owns it. He's yeah. like, yeah, I don't need that stuff. Yeah, kids, you know? kids, you know, and I, I like to think that we all think our kids are smart, you know, like they'll, they, they can deal with it a lot better than, than we might think. Mm -hmm. So uh, don't uh, think that they're, they're too immature to handle it. They're actually probably more and more uh, less attached to certain things than, than you might think. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Robin Ray Green, uh, you're going to have to go. I'm going to have to go. Um, thank you so much uh, for being on the show today, everybody. Her name is Robin Ray Green. That's R-O-B-I-N-R-A-Y-G-R-E-E-N.com. Uh, you can go to our website and get links uh, to her free acupressure guide for babies and kids, which I downloaded and it's awesome. Um, and, you know, it's really just a, a good overall, uh, how would you describe it? I think of it as like a good overall uh, stimulation of the immune system to do its job Exactly, exactly. Every, you know, all those parents whose kids are in preschool, or they're in elementary school, and they're coming home with the colds. I mean, this is like, 
the easiest, most enjoyable thing you can do to boost your child's immune system without having to change a thing for them. So that's right. a great place to start. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it's, um, it's quick. So, and, and it's together time, you know, we all want to spend more time with our kids and it helps to kind of foster that relationship. So, you know, you can do what it, it doesn't even take five, depending on how old they are. It's like five minutes, right? Yeah. It's like five minutes or less. Yeah. And, uh, and your kids will love it so much. Oftentimes I have parents that tell me all the time that their kids ask for their special massage time. So it really is a great, great thing to do for your child. Well, I'm going to start doing it to my 13 year old <laughs> just, just because it'll freak her out. She'll be like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but no, it's, uh, it, it is fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show and, uh, please keep us, uh, Keep us uh, in tune with what with what's going on. Again, her book is Heal Your Child from the Inside Out, The Five-Element Way to Nurturing Healthy, Happy Kids. Thank you, Robin Ray Green. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure. Alrighty. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean. And our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at the new and improved nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutrition heretic and on twitter at nutri heretic contact us with show ideas questions or if you want to be a guest and don't forget to rate our podcast on itunes and stitcher